0: Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: That's what we do. We make an image of man and birds. And four-footed animals and creeping things; therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature or the creation rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. And see, and see, these are the things. You know, God knew this about human nature. He says, "Take heed, unless you look up in the sky and you see the order of it." Can I ever say about-
0: Welcome everyone to Truth in Christ for today. Pastor Rob continues our study in Deuteronomy chapter 4 by reviewing God's warning on idolatry to the nation of Israel. God warns them about the carved images and other gods they were worshiping. He reminds them that they should be looking up in the sky and observing the wonders of the stars and all God has created. As followers of Jesus Christ, we too must always remember that everything around us is supplied to us by our Heavenly Father, and we should always show thanks by worshiping the Creator instead of the creation. Here's Pastor Rob with today's message.
1: Goose is picking up stuff, and they're looking around. What what is she doing? that looks pretty good. What is that? And the mother goes, that's a worm. Eat it. It's good. Right? So they do it. They get out in the water and she starts moving and they start following. It's the cutest thing you've ever seen. You know? Humans do it too. I remember um, when my daughter was born, I would stand over her crib and I'd go, how are you? And I'd tickle her belly, right? And I'd have my mouth wide open and you know what she did? Over time, in just a short period of time, whenever I would see her, she would automatically open her mouth wide like I was. And she was mimicking me. She was modeling me. And see, that's the way it's got to be done. It's got to be shown. It's got to be something that they can follow. And I need to do that. And just because we're older doesn't mean that it's not still as effective because people follow what they see that's right. And, and And they'll follow what you do more than what you say. So let's be those godly examples for our kids, our grandkids, teaching them. You're teaching them by your actions, by your very life. Verse 11, he says, Then you came near, and you stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire. And now he's re- he's referring back to when they were at Mount Sinai and Horeb there. At the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. And you heard the sound of the words, but you saw no form, you only heard the voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on tables of stone. And if you look up here on the screen, there, there's, a, there's two places where the Ten Commandments are given. They are originally given in Exodus chapter 20. And then uh, next week, we're going to be getting into verse 44 of, of this chapter and on into chapter 5. And that, it's just a reiteration, a retelling, a second telling of what God had given back at the Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. And you know... The Ten Commandments were given not so that we could do them and somehow be accepted by God. Paul tells that in his, in his letters. He says, you cannot do the the, the will of God. You know it perfectly. We're not perfect people. So the, of what God had given back at the Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. And you know, the... The Ten Commandments were given not so that we could do them and somehow be accepted by God. Paul tells that in his in his letters. He says, You cannot do the 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 will of God. You know it perfectly. We're not perfect people. So the the, the Ten Commandments weren't given so that we can do this and and somehow be accepted by God. No, the the Ten Commandments were an indictment against your nature. (laughs) And the and that was a school. That was a schooling. It was a, 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 a schoolmaster, Paul says. Of the law was a schoolmaster to do what? It was to bring me somewhere, to make me acknowledge something and make me acknowledge that I'm a sinner, that I was born in sin, and it was meant to deliver me to the one who can save me, who did fulfill the Ten Commandments 100%, who fulfilled the law. Jesus Christ is the only one who has fulfilled the law. Verse 14, he says, And the Lord commanded me at that time, to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. And so verse 15 he says, "Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female." You know, in Israel today, they're always unearthing stuff as they go on their digs and they're, you know, people are in their backyard gardening. In Israel, and this happens all the time, all the time. They're digging in their backyard, and they're 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 hoeing some ground to, to plant some tomatoes or some avocados or some mango trees. And they unearth something, and they look at it, and they they hit their tool, and they can hear a think think think, and then they pull it up, and they're looking at this statue made out of a woman, a woman statue or a male statue, that the Canaanites and the children of Israel used to worship. If you've ever been to the if you ever get a chance to go to Israel or go online you can see this stuff. The Israel Museum is filled with these little teraphim, these little these little idols that they used to worship. And God made sure that there was no physical similitude that they could fashion or shape some kind of object and worship the object. He says, "I'm not even going to give you an object to worship. I want you to worship me in spirit and in truth." I'm going to give you the truth. You need to worship me in spirit. The very spirit of God indwelling you burrs within me this desire to worship God. And I do it in spirit and in truth. I do it not based on what I feel or what I want to do. I, base, I do it based on what the word of God tells me, how, I, how he ought to be worshipped. And we're continuing to learn, aren't we, what it means to worship God. I'm continuing to learn how to worship God. And so are all of us. He says, "'Lest you act corruptly and make yourselves a carved image,' verse 16, "'in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. They didn't see a form, and they were less likely then to make an image of him and worship the image. But they worshiped other things.'" (laughs) They couldn't worship God because he didn't give them a model, a physical representation. Isn't it just like, man, if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to make myself an idol, and I'm going to worship it. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is the Ten Commandments reiterated again, which we're going to get to next week. What did he say in verse 7? He says, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make yourself a carved image. You shall not make for yourself the carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You know, the Egyptians, were their, their land was filled with idols. They worshipped the god bull, the bull god uh, Apis, I believe is, was, was what, what he was, his name was. They had snakes and they had eagles. And there was also the pagan god in, in Canaan who was Dagon. Remember the fish god. And so half of him was fish, and half of him had the figure of a man. And so this was very common, as you know. And God told them not to do it, and they did it anyway. What about Pan? You ever heard of Pan? The half goat, half man? Verse 19, he says, And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to the heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven, it's supposed to bring an awe to us, isn't it? I remember being out in a boat in Key West and being out in a, in a boat and, and being far enough offshore where the lights of Key West were no longer visible on a really calm night and just sitting out there on the deck of a boat looking up at the stars. And the stars, were so they seemed so close and so vibrant, and there was not a cloud in the sky. You, you felt like you could just reach up. Mary, I'll go up there and grab you a piece of the moon. Remember that? No? You got to watch, uh, what's that movie? The Wonderful Life, yes, yes. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. What do you want, Mary? You want me to go up there and get the, bring down the moon for you? So, but it's meant to bring an awe and a wonder, right? Isn't that what Psalm 19 says? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth shows forth his handiwork, his genius. You look at a leaf under a microscope. What do you see? Order. What do you see? Complexity. And the smaller you go... <laughs> the smaller you go, if you were able to take an electron microscope and you were to take any cell and go further and further and further, the, the farther you go and you dig down into that thing, the more complex and the more amazing it is. It is amazing. Man can't make anything like that. Have you seen a needle under a microscope that man makes? A really brand new sharp needle. And you put it under a microscope, you zoom in close enough, and you're going to see jagged edges on the, on, the, on the tip of that thing because it's, it's imperfect. But when you look at something under a microscope that God has made, it is 100% crystal clear and there's no jagged edges. It's like perfect. Because it reflects the glory of the designer, of the creator, right? But what does it say in Romans? Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. You know this, but we're going to do it anyway. Because it's good. Notice what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. He says, Professing to be wise, they became fools, speaking of the ungodly, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. That's what we do. We make an image of man, and birds, and four footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature or the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen amen and see and see these are the things you know God knew this about human nature he says, "Take heed! Unless you look up in the sky and you see the order of it, you have to be a fool to look up at the sky and and look up on a clear night and see the moon and and see the sun and how it goes down and you know and, and it comes up in the uh, in the east and and it rises and, and then it sets in the west and it keeps doing that every single day. And all the while, the earth is moving and revolving around the sun, and we have seasons. And all of a sudden, the the, the, the things, the the, the Hebrew the these these different images that they've made out of the the gospel in the heavens, all of these different signs that they figured out were all telling something, God putting them there on purpose, telling the story of salvation from the very beginning. Looking up, you can see it, if you're aware of it, and and, and you you can see those things and study those things, and you can see the plan of God in the heavens. It's almost like he's just putting the story out there. Hmm and it's our great joy to search it out and to find it out and i think everything is like that i think science is so wonderful and if you're the type of person who really gets into science and you really observe what is there and you don't make any you don't impose upon it your own thoughts or feelings you just observe what's there you will come away completely amazed that's what science is supposed to do observe the truth of what is there under certain circumstances That is the best science. And you will come away with your mouth dropping and an awe filling your heart. Like he says in the previous verse here that you'll fear the Lord. You'll have a reverence for him. You'll be like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe it. Scientists have have come to discover that there's something holding the atom together or the nucleus of an atom together because the, the thing shouldn't be so tightly wound. It shouldn't be holding itself together because of the makeup of the neutrons and the protons. I'm not a scientist. I can't tell you anything about it, but I know that they're mystified because these things should be repelling, but there's something holding them together. All they can think of, well, it's the God glue. There's something there. And doesn't Colossians tell us that by Christ, all things consist he holds it all together by his power. And one day he's going to say, Be dismissed. And all those elements, this chair, this thing that I'm is going to dissolve. That's what Peter said. It's going to dissolve with fervent heat. And isn't that what fission is? Or fusion or a fission, I'm not sure. When when they try to split a nucleus of an atom, what gives way? Power. Heat. When God does it, he can do it on the fly at any time he wants to, and it's going to dissolve with fervent heat. That's what the Bible tells us. Do you believe it? I believe it with all my heart. Yeah. Verse 20, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people and inheritance, as you are this day. You know, and it's funny, because when they were coming out of uh, Egypt, they, they, they really missed it. They forgot about the toil and the and the difficulty of being in Egypt and, and and yet, you know, God is saying, I brought you out of that. I brought you out of that, that fiery, that iron furnace. Furthermore, verse 21, the Lord was angry with me, Moses says, for your sakes, and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan, that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. He says, but I must die in this land. And if you get an opportunity, you can go to the very end of the, the very last chapter of Deuteronomy, and it tells us exactly where Mount where Moses Roughly, the the area of where Moses died, on Mount Nebo, somewhere in Moab. To this day, they don't know exactly where it is. Some valley, God did it. He buried him. Nobody knows where it is. Had we known where he was buried, there'd be a shrine there. And we'd worship the man instead of the creator. We'd worship the monument of Moses. Verse 23 says, Take heed to yourselves again. How many times is he saying, take heed to yourselves and listen and obey? It's almost like the Lord is like a skipping record. Why is that? Why is he always telling these, reminding them? I mean, this, this is a, a retelling of things that have already been told. It's like, why do I need to hear this again? It's because you don't get it the first time. <laughs> right? It's like I told my daughter I shouldn't bring her up because someday she's going to be listening to these recordings and she's going to be turning all colors of red. I can't believe you said that. Um, I'm not going to bring up any instance, but I was like this. Well, I'll just pick on myself. When I was little, my mother would tell me to do something, and I wouldn't do it. She'd have to tell me again, Rob, I need you to go do this. Well, let's know. You know, I'd stick my fingers in my ears, and she'd have to get out the belt. Oh, we don't do that today, though. Oh, don't discipline your kids. But... She would tell me, and I wouldn't listen. She'd tell me again, I wouldn't listen. And I have to be told again and again. Because even if I think I've got something conquered in my flesh, if I'm walking in confidence of my flesh, I'm going to fall. And then God has to tell me again. And I say, God, you know, you're right. You're right. Your word is true. Have you ever discovered that through your sin and when you make mistakes and you sin and you do things? you ultimately come back to, Lord, you are right. There is nothing good within me. There's nothing good. I need to be told again because I'm going to hear it echoed in my head again and again and again. And when I'm tempted to do that sin, whatever it is, and I can remember the pain of the consequence from the times that I didn't listen before, I'm going to think twice about it. And I'm going to say, you know what? You guys can go out and do that. I'm staying home. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you, and, um, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has, hidden, uh, has forbidden you. And you know, um, the Jews were God's chosen people, and he loved them, and they were a peculiar people, the Bible says. And in fact, in Exodus chapter 19, 19 he says, you're my peculiar, you're my treasure. That's what he said to them, Right? And then the, the, the Lord says the same thing to the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 7. He says, you're a peculiar people. You're my people, the people I love. I purchased you. And then finally in Romans 12, we know, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Living sacrifice. I'm sorry, I, I quoted the wrong verse, I think. Better read it. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable surface, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's God's desire for us to, to be um, holy, to be separate. G. Campbell Morgan said this, he says, The church did the most for the world when the church was least like the world. Let me read that to you again. He says, The church did the most for the world when the church was the least like the world. But today, we got to do all these slick things to get people into the church. And you know, when you do those kinds of things, and your church balloons and, and, and you have a lot of people, all of a sudden you can't continue telling the truth any longer. Because you've got to keep up the fuzzy feelings. You've got to keep up the hype. And you've got to compromise on the truth to keep those people to coming and paying the bills for the building projects that you have when you see all those people coming. Well, we've got to build a bigger barn. All these people are coming. So churches, they, they, they spread out. They get a bigger place. And now they've got to continue feeding them this marshmallow fluff to get them to continue to come. And if they start teaching the word of God and they start getting convicted and they start going back to doing the thing, all of a sudden the people start going away. And now what are you stuck with? A mortgage that you can't pay. So it's always better to start and to continue at the foundation and let the Lord build the house, right? So the church did the most for the world when the world was the least like the world. Verse 24, he says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. You know, we think of jealousy in our culture, it is an ugly thing. My mom, as you many of you know, was a police officer, or was, she's retired now, but my brother is a major in the police force down in Florida, and they, they would go on calls all the time of jealous husbands, jealous wives, beating on each other, killing each other, stabbing one another, shooting one another. But the kind of jealousy that God has is a good jealousy. Because when we go after strange things, God is saying, I know what's best for you. You go down that path, and that path only leads to destruction. So I want to keep you from that. God is jealous for you because he knows what's best for you. He knows that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life by Jesus Christ, right? And so he always wants to, like a hen does her chicks, he wants to bring you in under his brood and keep you safe. And when we are obedient, we are the safest there in his arms. Verse 25, when you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and you act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. It's true that whatever it is that you worship, you will become like that thing. If you worship a God who is capricious and angry and murdering and hateful, you're going to become like that God. And so as we walk in the Spirit, as we become closer to Jesus, his very nature ought to be more, our nature should be more like his. There ought to be more grace. There ought to be more truth. There ought to be more compassion. There ought to be more love, real love. That's not based upon circumstances. You know, he was on their case about idolatry. I used to be an Eddie Van Halen worshiper. My name's Rob Kellogg. I worshipped Eddie Van Halen. I did. When I was my teens, I used to, I played the electric guitar. And you'd laugh if you saw pictures of me. I had the long hair. I had blonde hair. And, you know, I had long hair. And I had the checkered shirt. And I had, uh, wanted a guitar just like Eddie. You know, I wanted to have the, uh, the Kramer guitar with the homemade uh, wax-dipped, handmade home humbucker pickups. You know the little quarter that was nailed to the side. You know the cigarette burns on the side. I wanted—I wanted Frankenstein, which is what he called his guitar. I wanted that guitar, right? And you—you you can ask my mother. My room looked like a Van Halen shrine. I had posters, and all this stuff. I looked like a—it was all red, white, and black. You know, from the stripes and all the stuff that he did. And um, But that's what I did. I worshiped him. And I, I, I was becoming like him. That's what I wanted to be. It's really a grace that the Lord got me out of that. He took me from loving the guitar to getting into the classical guitar, and then everything changed. And then he got the classical guitar, and he brought me to faith. And he brought me up to Rochester, and Rochester brought me to this church.
0: If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited format, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the Radio and Sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcasts. Truth in Christ.